is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. We're in our Mark series, and if you could turn with me to Mark chapter 14 which is what we are focusing on this morning. And we're looking at verses 1 to 11. So we're here, we're getting towards the end, aren't we? And um, Mark is bringing us to the events now during the last, it's within the last six days, the last few days probably of Jesus' life. And as we've talked about before, Um, He does what he has done previously and he brings together certain events and certain themes which probably have occurred at different times, so not necessarily in chronological order. And he deliberately places them side by side to show a contrast. Um, So in this section, verse 1 to 11, Mark is sandwiching or bracketing, if you could just pop that up, Dan, He's bracketing together the love and devotion of this extravagant worship that we're going to read about between two pictures of hate and evil. So it's that of the murderous plot of the chief priests and then the betrayal of Jesus um, by Judas. I guess you could say it's a bit of a rose between two thorns visual, isn't it? So if you look at verse 1 to 2, which is where we're going to start, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus and secretly kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So we're just going to pause there. There's the first part of our bracketing, the hate that's felt by the chief priests. They hated his life. They hated what he was doing. They hated what he stood for and they wanted to kill him. And they knew because of the time, the celebrations that were happening, that they needed to act really quickly. But in stark contrast, there's only those couple of verses there. We leave the chief priests and Mark shifts our attention to a house in Bethany. Now, things seem to be a little bit different this morning, don't they? They're a bit different. I've never had hot cross buns for communion before. That's great. I, um, you know, we've done family communion, which we don't usually do, and now we're going to do something else a little bit different. Is that okay? You're already out of your comfort zone, aren't you? You've already stepped out of those boundaries. Adam's already broken my boundary. Maybe that's prophetic, Adam, I don't know. Um, But I would like you, if you would, if you don't mind, and if you can, to close your eyes. We're entering a crowded house in Bethany, and Jesus is the guest for the evening. He looks at ease, surrounded by his friends and disciples. The dinner table is buzzing with happy conversations as they lay reclined on cushions, enjoying a meal together. The host, Simon, is fielding questions of what it's like to be healed from such a terrible and lonely disease that is leprosy, and now to be back home with his loved ones. It's evidently clear that he's thankful to Jesus. The women present are bringing out food, clearing empty vessels and refilling wine bowls. But this time, when one of the women returns to the room, she's cradling something. It's what looks to be a jar made from alabaster. It looks expensive, but why on earth has she brought it here? She heads straight towards the honoured guest, Jesus. 
And as the woman approaches him, some in the room halt their conversations. They look. How strange and how inappropriate. The voices begin to fade and the bustling atmosphere dampens. Now the woman standing over Jesus and he turns towards her. The silence in the room is deafening. What is she going to do? People look to one another with questioning eyes and everyone is standing or straining to get a better look. The woman's eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus. Then the silence breaks and her hands shatter the top of the jar. There's no going back now. In complete reverence, she pours the entire contents over Jesus' head and a stream of perfume flows down over his head and his body. Gasps and murmurs now drown the room, whispers from some identifying the rich aroma of nard. Do you know what that is? Oh, it can't be. It's so expensive, declare others. Guests exchange wide-eyed glances across the table. Indignant objections fly around the room and the atmosphere becomes tense. But the woman, she doesn't seem to notice the scornful stares and the snipes. And what about Jesus? Well, he hasn't stopped her or told her now's not the time. In fact, he looks completely moved by this great act of love worship and adoration. His eyes look full of affection at the woman's devotion. Does he even know how inappropriate and wildly costly this moment has been? So manifestly, uncomfortably valuable was the ointment that they couldn't not register their concerns with Jesus himself. And a voice slices through the fragrant-filled room. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Justifying their anger, there are many nods of agreement around the table. But Jesus responds immediately. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor poor you will always have with you and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The woman's eyes and heart remain fixed on Jesus and the others in the room, they discuss Jesus' reaction to her and to them. Each one of them now strongly smelling of the costly nard. But one guest could not stay in that room any longer. He was seething, he was fuming. He is grieving a year's wages while squandering infinite eternal treasure. He is so close to the savior of the world, yet completely misses him. He is on his way to betray Jesus to the chief priests. He is Judas. You can all come back to Derby now. I hope that was maybe a little bit helpful to get you to imagine the scene and and possibly, hopefully, you can start to smell the fragrance that is filling the room right now.
You know, these two lives could not stand in greater contrast, could they, when it comes to love and devotion to Jesus. And isn't it just a wonderful moment in Mark where this woman just brings her all? And what comfort, you know, Jesus knew what was to come. He knew what was ahead in this week and what he would have to go through and what comfort it must have brought him to have the woman do this. So our theme for today is extravagant worship, and we're going to explore some of that together. Um, So you probably know what worship is. Worship in itself is a feeling, an expression of reverence and adoration, the treasuring of someone or something above all else. But what about the word extravagant? A literal definition, I don't know if you can see my red boundary lines, I hope that's not expensive tape jokes, sorry. Um, It's to wander outside of or to go beyond. Okay, that's what extravagant means. Sometimes it means exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. So looking at these scriptures, we're going to look at five characteristics of extravagant worship. So firstly, if you're making notes, extravagant worship focuses on the person of Jesus. Just have a drink. Worship's not a climate we create, a methodology we employ, a program we implement, a song set we schedule, or a service we plan, although all of those things are really good. Worship is a fixed gaze on Jesus, treasuring him above all else. He's the center, he's the focus. In Psalm 27, verse 4, David says, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this only I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You know, David felt the same way as this woman. She entered an unwelcoming environment. She stepped out of the normal cultural Um, expectations of her and it was because she was completely absorbed in and wanted to dwell in the presence of Jesus. She was apprehended by him and his grace. He was in the room. No one else mattered. He was enough. The affections of the woman matched the worth of Jesus. And we learn from her that true worship is a life poured out just like that perfume in response to a God who himself was emptied out. In Philippians 2, verse 6 to 7, it says, Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then within days of this extravagant act, and possibly still with the scent of this precious perfume still lingering on him, Jesus made his way to the cross, poured out for us like precious perfume, acceptable and holy. And Jesus did that for you. Jesus did that for me. Isn't that incredible? He is worthy of our worship and our gaze. So extravagant worship focuses on the person of Jesus. 
Secondly, extravagant worship flows from thankfulness. Now, there's probably actually a worship song for each one of these points. If you write them down, you can um, show me at the end and I'll find a prize for you, I'm sure. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm interested not only in what people do, but why they do it. You might be a people watcher. I am a people watcher. Um, And all behaviour has a because or a motivation. What about when people do things outside of the boundaries of what's normal? And obviously that's different for all of us, what we consider normal and not. So what motivates people to run? What? (laughs) Thanks, my husband. What motivates people to run marathons, climb mountains, go on extreme adventures? I've discovered that in finding the because driving behavior, we begin to understand the act itself and the passion within it. So why did the woman step out of the normal protocol and boundaries in such a way? What was her because? Well, she knew what she had found in Jesus, his salvation and his forgiveness. She had received his favor already. She wasn't doing this to win Jesus' forgiveness. Rather, her behavior expresses the fact that she knows she's forgiven and she has a heart full of thanks to him. You see, I love these phrases. Worship follows wonder. Adoration flows from appreciation. The woman loved Jesus with all her heart, her mind, her soul, her strength. And she was so thankful to him that she gave something of real value. Extravagant worship flows from thankfulness. Thirdly, extravagant worship awakens a response. Now we know what the initial response was. There was like a stillness, something changed in the room. People started to look. It captured the attention, didn't it, when this woman came out and went over to Jesus of all those present. And the reaction was mixed. So Mark tells us, if we look in verse 4, that the first response from some was indignation. And that word actually means feeling or showing anger because of something unjust or unworthy. And that's the word that's used here. Can you imagine that being your reaction? Anger, seeing this woman do this for Jesus. Well, it was for so many in the room. They witnessed a year's worth of wages being poured out. But the fragrance that filled the room for them was the stench of lost opportunity and waste. Yeah, it was a costly act. And for some of them, it was too costly. They gasped as if they had no sense of the value of Jesus. The pearl, worth more than the entire universe, was sat in front of them, but all they could see was a puddle of perfume on the floor. Verse 4, they say, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. And it's really interesting here that this story is told in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and John. And although Mark and Matthew don't tell us who it was that speaks up, John actually tells us, could you guess who it might have been? 
It was Judas. Doesn't that picture speak a thousand words? And it's, like, it's a self-righteous righteous pride, isn't it? They didn't really care that much about the poor, but they wanted to question her motive and her action. And I get it. The woman's extravagance was, it was uncharted experience for those in the room, for Simon and his guests. But just because they hadn't been there and done that didn't mean that she couldn't. I don't know if you're TripAdvisor people, we are as a family, and when I say we, <laughs> I mean my husband. And, so, you know, you're either looking up a restaurant or you want to go on holiday, which is my, one of my least favourite activities, is booking a holiday. And, of course, you look through advisor, um, trip advisor, or you might ask friends. And so often we go on what's written or we go on advice from what people say. And, you know, we don't think any more of it. We find somewhere else. But have you ever gone against someone's recommendations and you've gone, oh, I think we should just try it? And actually it ends up being really good. <laughs> And you tell them, of course you tell them. We actually really loved it. But you know what? If we're not careful, we allow the experiences of others to set boundaries for us. Had the woman followed the convention that religion and worship should be done in a certain way, then her perfume would have stayed in the bottle. And we wouldn't be talking about it today. But, you know, I can't help but think there must have been some in the room who let the fragrance of her worship seep deep into their senses and their hearts. I think it's true to say that heartfelt worship doesn't stay private. It might be a private moment between you and God, but there's something about it that leaks out. It spills out into others. When we encounter the living God, it will be evident to those around us. They'll see it on your face. They'll hear it in the words that you speak and the things that you do. The fragrance is sweet and attractive and we take it with us as we go. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 16, it says, We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Isn't that wonderful? We, guys, we are the sweet aroma of Christ. And we have been placed amongst those that are saved, those that are being saved, and those who are perishing. This aroma is our witness. We're taking the scent of truth with us every day, the fragrance of the gospel and the fragrance that God delights in and is pleased with. And what about Jesus' reaction? He is the most important person in the room. Well, he was pleased with the woman the same way that God is pleased with our fragrance. And we see that in verses 6 to 9. First, he says, leave her alone. He rebukes those who were indignant. It's a strong rebuke in the Greek. She has done a beautiful thing. And the Greek word here for beautiful or good is kalos, and that's used to describe something outwardly beautiful or virtuous. And the beauty of it lay in its extravagance. Verse 7, Jesus says, It's timely. You can help the poor anytime, but you won't always have me. 
She has taken this opportunity presented to her. She knew in her heart it was the right time to act. It was a personal response to Jesus. In verse 8, Jesus recognises it's insightful. She has anointed my body for burial beforehand. It's likely, as I said earlier, that Jesus would have taken, if it was a couple of days before he died, that he would have taken this fragrance with him as he entered his passion, his suffering, possibly even unto the cross. And there was a chance that he wouldn't be able to be anointed again. And actually, we know that because the women went to find him, didn't they, at the tomb to anoint his body after he died. And he wasn't there. Sorry if that's a spoiler for you. Verse 9. Jesus declares that what she did was deserving of being remembered. The story of this beautiful act will be told, he said. Isn't that incredible? This woman who um, John names is Mary, but here Mark, Mark doesn't say who it is. She doesn't have a big biography about what she's done, who she is and where she's at. But Jesus says, this is so significant what she's done for me that this will be told in years to come. And here we are, 2,000 years later, being told about this woman going outside of the norm and offering her extravagant worship. So extravagant worship awakens a response. And finally, and this is probably the most challenging, extravagant worship is sacrificial. You know, one of the main reasons that the, the people in this room were so angry was that the woman used such a costly perfume. The word sacrifice, it means it's an act of offering. It's an offering of something precious. It's a giving up. It's a surrender for the sake of someone or something else. And a sacrifice in worshipping God is giving up something that's valuable to us. And it's, it's a huge theme throughout the Bible that worship is centred around the action of giving to God what is valuable to us. Worship comes at a cost and often involves sacrifice. We have to give something of ourselves. If, we, if you were here last week, Graham touched on um, part of Mark 12, which is the woman, the widow, sorry, who gave her two coins to Jesus. It was all that she had in the temple. She gave it to the temple, sorry, not to Jesus. And Jesus was watching this as it happened. You know, the widow and the woman, they did not give equal gifts. In fact, I read somewhere that the perfume, my really beautifully crafted um, <laughs> bottle of nard, and actually that would have had to have happened, that the top oh, and the handle... <laughs> It would have been broken off, so there was no going back. Once she broke it off, you had to pour out that perfume. But what she had was worth 20,000 times more than the two coins that the widow gave. They didn't give Jesus equal gifts, but they gave equal sacrifice. The perfume in this bottle was said to be worth 300 denarii, which is around a year's wages in those times. And she had a good amount of it, if you could hear, um, I was going to say James, you knew it was James, pouring it out. It wasn't just a tiny bit. It wasn't just like a 
drop that she anointed, she poured out, and she poured out the whole lot, and it's probably around 16 ounces of it. It was unlikely, probably for a woman, to make this sort of money in the marketplace in those days. That's just how it was. So she was either from a rich family. Um, it was likely it could be her pension fund for the future. It could be a sentimental family heirloom or a dowry for her future husband and family. Whatever it was, it was no small sacrifice. In her desire to worship Jesus, she exceeded the boundaries of what was reasonable at a personal cost. After a costly sin, King David wanted to buy some land in order to make offerings to God. And a man called Aruna, who owned the land, he offered it to him for free. I mean, most of us would go, yes, awesome. But the, the reason he wanted this land was to offer to God, obviously, um, for what he had just been through in his life. But in 2 Samuel 24, 24, David responds, I will not present offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. Worship involves sacrifice. Um, if you're doing this Bible in 365 days, we have recently been looking at Leviticus. Is Maria in the room? It's your favorite book, Leviticus, you were telling us last night. And there's all these extremely specific ways that God desired people to worship him. There were different animals um, for different sins and there were different sacrifices and you had to use different parts of the animals. There was regulations on cleansing and consecration, what the temple should look like, what clothes should be worn to the finest detail and more. I get it. God is holy and the people needed to be set apart and holy too. But let me be honest, I do not think I would have been very good at all of that. Anybody else? Maybe you would, but I would have struggled. So I can stand here today and declare I am so thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for the ultimate sacrifice that all can come. We can all come into the presence of holy God and with boldness and confidence. Isn't that amazing? I think that needs an amen, guys. Come on. Paul tells us in Romans 12, and the first verse of that, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Of course, we know here that he doesn't mean sacrifice that atones for sin, because now we've had Jesus, we have Jesus. But it's connected to the idea of bringing ourselves, our entire being to the altar, to die to self and to live for him every day. We are to give God our all, our love and adoration, our words, our gifts, our service, our time, our worship, our resources, our finance, our obedience. And it goes on. We're to give our all to him. And you know, sometimes these things are easier to give at some point in your life than it is at another point in your life. Certain seasons, it's much harder to do these things. It's more costly to give of ourselves in these ways. If I could just focus on a couple of those, 
our words and our worship. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Praise in general terms, so not necessarily thinking about um, God. (laughs) It doesn't always cost us something, and it's often a response to an action that directly benefits uh, us. And we often find it easy to praise God from the same motivation. When he's blessed us, when he's helped us, protected us, we feel generous towards him. We can sing, we can worship, we can tell everyone and declare how good God is because we can see it. That kind of praise, although it's wonderful and worthwhile, it isn't really costly to us. It's not a sacrifice. Then there's times where God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we hoped. God seems far away. We're hurting, we're grieving. We can't see God's goodness and our circumstances scream that we're forgotten. To praise him in those times requires personal sacrifice. It takes an act of will to lay our all on the altar before God. When we bring that sacrifice of praise, we choose to believe that even though life might be hard right now, that God is still good. When we choose to worship God in spite of what's happening around us and however costly it is, however we might have to step out of those boundaries of what anyone else thinks is normal or you think is normal, when we're offering something as a sacrifice, we're going beyond and it's probably costly. I know that I can testify to this in my own life. We're to hold nothing back from Jesus. Surrender, submit, and sacrifice it all to him. Pour it out before him, every last drop. Extravagant worship is sacrificial. So we've got our five points. It focuses on the person of Jesus. It flows from thankfulness. It awakens a response. It's about the heart, and it's sacrificial. I wonder if the band could come up for me. Thank you. Isn't it amazing that this extravagant act of love by the woman foretold the most extravagant act of love ever? A broken jar, a broken body, poured out perfume, poured out blood. It was costly. Jesus gave up his life for us. She poured the entire jar. Jesus emptied himself and gave his everything as a sacrifice for us, holding nothing back. Christ loved us and gave up himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And guys, I want to ask you to respond to that this morning. And this is a very personal thing. So shortly we're going to have um, a couple of songs, a time of worship. And... I know actually a lot of us, we're in those times where you're sort of asking God, what do you want me to say to someone else? I do that all the time. But I want you 
to really focus on Jesus, to fix your gaze on him yourself. Maybe you know even already that that is the way that you need to respond. You've taken your eyes off Jesus and he wants you to fix your eyes upon him again. Maybe you need to know that you need, you, God wants you to come back to the heart of worship. Maybe this morning you're cradling something like the jar that the woman brought into the room. She could have kept hold of that, but she gave it to Jesus. She poured it out. She gave him what she had and what she could. Maybe there's something you're holding on to this morning that you're cradling. And Jesus is saying, just pour it out. Give it all to me. Maybe this morning you need to offer that sacrifice of worship. It's costly. Maybe it's going to hurt. Maybe the tears are going to flow. I don't know. I don't want to put anybody in any boundaries of what God's going to do this morning. It's such a personal thing. Maybe for you, you need to consider your posture in worship. Maybe that's physically. You need to kneel before God to lift your hands in an act of surrender. Maybe you want to lie flat on the floor. That's up to you. But I want to encourage you not to miss this opportunity. Can we stand together? I know we're towards the end of the meeting, but don't get distracted by that. Don't disengage. There's something, you can close your eyes. You can lift your hands, whatever you want to do. There's, there's something completely unique in the blend of the fragrance of your worship in this moment. Give to God what's in your heart right now. The wins, the losses the joys, the sorrows. How you worship in grief has a different blend to the fragrance of how you worship when you're in a great season, an easy season. However, you personally respond to God now in worship. May it have a fragrance of today about it. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't say, I can come back next week or I can do it another day. Don't miss this opportunity to pour out your all to God. Seize the opportunity just like the woman did. If you want to come forward in response to that, you are so welcome. But we're not going to pray for you. This is you and God. You don't need an in-the-middle person. It's a personal thing between you and God, but don't miss this opportunity. Let's worship him. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.